sounded great this morning. We had a great crowd at the early service, and you guys sound wonderful too, singing your praises. We have any preschoolers who would like to go out for a Bible story and activities. Mr. Luke is right here. We'll take them down. And then um, everyone else take a few minutes and say hello to each other.
It sounds amazing. I'm going to ask, we have some wonderful musicians up here on a regular basis. We're going to give them a break for two minutes. We're going to back it up. We're going to sing just that ending a cappella. And just lift our voices up as a prayer and praise offering to the Lord this morning. Jesus, Some of you guys can get your hands on them, or you can get your hands on somebody that's got their hand on them, or you can just reach out your hands toward them. We are going to pray over them and uh, prepare to send us out. I'm going to hang out, y'all. We, we're going to, I'll be here to preach. Lord God, for this group that has answered the call and said, here am I, send me. Father, we lift them up and we pray over them. We ask that you would put your angels around them, keep them healthy, keep them safe, give them traveling mercies there throughout the week and on the way home. God, open their hearts to be receptive to the prompting and the moving of your Holy Spirit while they travel and while they're on mission in Nicholsville and surrounding areas this week. Father, give them God-ordained moments, divine appointments in which you call them out to minister and to serve. Prepare the hearts of those who they're going to encounter and experience. And Father, we look forward to the moving of your spirit and to the testimonies that we hear as a result of our group being gone and then coming back. Father, as a church, we commission them as part of Mill Creek and send them out. But Father, most of all, 
We send them in the powerful name of our risen and living Savior, Jesus Christ, for the ministry that you've called and appointed them to this week. Us too. So bless us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm always praying for somebody else. Thank y'all. You guys, oh, by the way, as they are preparing to go, you guys can, can keep on if you want to. We have two prayer blankets and a rug that we prayed over in the first hour. The, do you want me to just bring these to you? I'll remember. I have a congregation that will remind me. I'll bring these when I come so we can pray over them in just a minute. Okay. Whew. Hey, safe travels. I'll see y'all later on. Uh, in your bulletin, you may have received one of these prayer guides for, it's called, it says United, called to be one. This is a prayer guide. Today begins our week of praying for our missionaries who served in the North American Mission Board. At one time, this was referred to as the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. We refer to it as North American Missions Offering. But I want to encourage you to take this and on each page, it says day one, day two, all the way through day eight, I think is what's on here. So today through next Sunday, and read the story that's on the page. Pray for the mission and the missionaries that are listed there. Uh, you'll be praying for some folks from New Orleans, Portland, Oregon, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Anchorage, Alaska, Ridgewood, New York, Porcupine, South Dakota, St. John's, Newfoundland, and Lincoln, Nebraska. And I would also let you know that if you go to the website, either um, Annie Armstrong Easter Offering, or you can Google it, it'll eventually get you to where you can watch the videos of these people sharing in their, um, where they're serving. And we're going to watch one right now. I watched all of these videos, and all of them are really fantastic. We'll probably show another one or two over the next couple of weeks. But I want you to see from and hear from Matthew and Ruth LaHaye in St. John's, Newfoundland. So direct your attention to the video watchers. Newfoundland is called the rock because life here is hard. We're an island off the east coast of Canada, and from a, a spiritual perspective, it's mind-boggling how little churches there are. You know, my, my parents are from Newfoundland. My whole heritage is from here. And so we moved back uh, to Newfoundland because it's a fantastic place to plant a church. When I first came to Newfoundland, I remember sitting on my couch praying and just feeling so sad that people that I didn't even know, I hadn't even met them yet, but they had no chance to hear the gospel. We are here in Kilbride, and there's a lot of young families here. And in 1892, the, the last church existed in Kilbride. It burnt down in 1892. Uh, and so the gospel hasn't reached here in 128 years. And so we set out to have people in our home. Because there's a term called CFA, come from away. If you're going to the mainland or anywhere else but Newfoundland, and you move here, you will always be known as a comfortable way. So we had to adjust our mindset and say, we are moving to Newfoundland and we are going to let God work. We know that that's probably going to be a long process. We are seeing the gospel transforming people. But still, when we are gathering on Sundays, I'm always reminded of how outnumbered we are. If I were to get in a car and drive two hours south, 
you won't find a single Bible-preaching, gospel-centered, evangelical church. And so it's the rock because it's, it's very hard to plant seeds here. But Lord, here I am, send me. I hope you'll take the time to pray for them, to pray for each person in this pamphlet in the coming days of this week. Some phenomenal stories of ways that God is working. I cannot imagine being in an area that has not had a church for 128 years. Oh, crazy, crazy. So I would also ask you not just to pray each day, but to pray, God, what would you have me to give for this offering to help these missionaries do the work they're doing? Uh, we will be collecting our annual Strong Easter offering, North American Mission offering throughout the month. And we just ask you to pray about that. Remember, our offering is above our tithes. Our tithes are our first fruits that we give. Our offerings are above. So pray about God. What do you have me to give to help make these ministries like this one in New Finland happen? That's that. Uh, we are going to enter into a time of prayer now. I just want to make you aware of some things to be praying for. First of all, in just a few moments, we will be celebrating, sharing this meal together, the Lord's Supper. And I would ask you to just consider, begin now to ask in the depths of your heart, Lord, what are those areas that I need to turn over? What are those sins I've yet to confess that are keeping me from really experiencing this meal in fresh new ways today? Also, um, just to make you aware, our prayer person for this week is Ashley Kritzberger. Ashley is a wife, a mother, and um, a gardener, to say the least. She's got a, a home business, and um, I know she would appreciate your praying for her uh, as a busy time of year comes up for Ashley. So remember Ashley. John Plancher is back this week. Most of you received an email on that. Be in prayer for John. Bonnie Henderson's knee replacement went very well. Bonnie sounds great on the phone, and I know she would appreciate you continuing to remember her. Also, We've been praying for Rose Jeter's dad for some time, Sam Bradshaw, with lung cancer. Sam is in Sedley, Virginia, which is down on the eastern part of Virginia, Suffolk area. And um, Rose went this past week, and Sam is not doing well. He's going to be leaving the hospital and going home with hospice care. And so remember Rose uh, and her family as it appears that her dad is in his last days of life. We want to lift them up. Fisher Trammell is a five-year-old we've been praying for for some time with aplastic anemia, I think is what's going on. And um, Fisher received a bone marrow transplant from his mother, Alicia, this uh, just a couple days ago on Friday. Fisher's doing great. Alicia's taking a little time to recover. So if you remember Alicia Trammell as well, and pray that for Fisher, this um, bone marrow transplant will help with this blood situation that he has going on. We have a number of blankets up here. First of all, the two furthest to my left in the rug under them are going to be going with us to Southwest Virginia. Don't let me forget them. Um, but we'll be praying on these. We don't know who they're going to yet, but they're going. And so we're just going to pray that the Lord will open the hearts of these families. They'll be receiving these. Also, prayer blanket next to it is going to Stephanie Ashwell. Stephanie is in her late 20s, I want to say 29, is that pretty close, Pat and Fred? Um, 
And, and Stephanie is the daughter of Philabash woman, even though Philip Stephanie serves in our um, armed forces, but is having a procedure tomorrow morning, very serious procedure. Would ask you to remember Stephanie, that fair white is going to her. The one in the middle is going to Luann Millsaps. Luann has been a guest of ours for some time and battling cancer. And uh, we'll be sending that blanket to Luann. And then the one closest to the speaker is going to Sherry Hodges. Sherry had her shoulder replacement surgery again um, on when? Thursday, thank you, on Thursday. And uh, is home and recovering there. So remember Sherry as well. Let's go to the Lord and pray. God, as we come before you on the beauty of this day, we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be still, to know you are God, and to experience you in fresh new ways through this time of worship together. Father, we lift up Ashley to you this week as a mother, as a wife, as a business owner. Lord, that you would bless her and the various things she has going on. Father, that she would experience you through the creation of beautiful arrangements and flowers that she grows. Lord, that she would be able to see you through all that. Father, we thank you for how we've seen you at work in the lives of those who have recently had procedures like Sherry, um, like Bonnie. Father, others who are still recovering from recent procedures, Lord, that they would experience your presence as their bodies continue to heal, that they would seek you for help even in the midst of the healing process. Father, for Fisher and Alicia Trammell, Lord, we lift them up and pray that you would help Alicia these days following this bone marrow transplant. That, Father, most of all, that this would help Fisher with the blood situation he's got going on. The Lord, this family will see better days ahead as a result of this transfusion. Father, for Sherry Hodges, this blanket going to her, Luann Billsaps, and Stephanie, as well as these blankets going to folks we don't know the names of yet. Father, we pray the blankets would provide a sense of comfort, a sense of hope, that these blankets would remind these folks of a holy God who cares intimately for them. That God, you would go before the blankets and prepare hearts to be receptive. Father, for Rose, her family is around her dad right now. Lord, comfort them. Father, if Sam is in his final days, Father, help them to have the opportunity for closure with him. And bless them, Lord. Be with others on our list who are hurting. Be with us, Lord, as we prepare to receive the elements of this meal. Speak to our hearts and help us to lay those things that you've already put in our minds at the altar so that we can approach this table in a fresh new way this morning. In Jesus' name, oh, Father, bless the offering. Lord, as we prepare to receive it, Lord, go ahead of it. Bless the gifts that we give. Cause us to think about what we would give to our North American missionaries. And Father, use what you've already given to us that we return to you. Use it, Lord, to do more than we can imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
see God? How do you see God? One of the places I see God is Wednesdays when they put pictures of little children on Facebook. Isn't that special? Yes, I see God there. been on this journey for a month now of looking for God when we come to church and one of the ways in which we see him along with the various ways they just mentioned is when we gather to worship and to celebrate this meal together. I'm going to invite our deacons who are going to be helping to serve to come up at this time and as they are let me just say this if you're a Christ follower in this place if Jesus is Lord of your heart then we invite you to participate in this meal with us in just a moment I'm going to invite you to get up from where you are to come down the center aisle come across the front and these deacons have the elements there for you and then you can return down the side aisle if you're sitting next to somebody with some mobility issues maybe you can offer to serve them today to bring it um, to them and on your way back just begin to make all the noise you want to with that cellophane it's going to be a lot easier then than it will be later on when it's quiet so let's go to the Lord in prayer Father, calm our hearts, speak to our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts as we prepare to share these elements together. Father, we know that we see things visually, we see things mentally in our mind's eye, and we see things spiritually 
through our heart. And at this moment, we have an opportunity to utilize all three of those sources of vision as we see these elements, as we remember what Christ accomplished on a cross that provided these elements for us. And spiritually, Lord, as your spirit speaks to us. So, Lord, speak boldly during this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to begin to make your way to the front. Scripture lets us know that Jesus gathered with his disciples to share a Passover meal before his arrest and trial and crucifixion. At that meal were elements that were common during a Passover meal, but Jesus took the elements and changed the meaning for the disciples as well as for us. There at the table was some bread. Scripture says Jesus took and he blessed and gave thanks for it. So would you pray with us? And after blessing it and giving thanks, Jesus shared it with his disciples and said, as often as you eat of this bread, eat it in remembrance of me.
there was a glass of wine on the table that was referred to as the cup of redemption. And when Jesus got to that moment, he took that cup and shared a new meaning for it. He blessed and gave thanks to it as well, for it as well. And so, again, we invite you to pray with us. Not knowing that redemption was coming through him, Jesus said, in the future, as often as you drink of this cup, drink it in remembrance of me. God, we thank you for the gift of your love that was willing to give of yourself to us. To be born in a manger, to set an example of how we should live, but also, Father, to be willing to go to a cross, to take our sins, our punishment on himself. Father, we celebrate the fact that he overcame sin, that he overcame death and had victory over the grave when he was raised again. Father, we pause to reflect and remember the beauty of your love for us. Help us to see it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, take your Bibles this morning and open them up to John chapter 12. We are going to be looking at two passages of Scripture there in John 12, verses 20 to 21. And so make your way there, if you would. Have you ever, in maybe school taken a piece of cardboard. I drew a red circle because you can't see the little pinhole in it. But have you ever taken a piece of paper or cardboard, put a pinhole in it, and then held it up to view an eclipse? Anybody ever do that or just me? Okay, cool. Just checking. With my glasses off, some of y'all look really good. Take that however you want. No, I can see, I can kind of, I mean, I can see you, I can see, but there are some of you I can see better than, than others. But here's what's interesting to me. When I hold this up, I can see it says John 12, 20 to 21 on the monitor. When I look over here, I can see Bobby Simpson sitting right there. Let me swing over this way. Oh, wow. Hey, Kay Norris. Hey, Steve. It's amazing that that pinhole corrects my vision. 
It was in the year 1850. Let me put my glasses back on so I get this right. <laughs> Glad I did. It was in the year 1573. When a scientist first claimed that you could make a pair of glasses with a pinhole to correct vision that now, not I don't think then, but now would be corrected by a prescription. It's really interesting to me. I, when, once I discovered this, I was like, oh, wow. I really can, well, I can see better with my glasses off through this than with But it's interesting. Some of y'all are going to go home today and test that. Please do. You'll see that I was right. Why do I do that? Well, too often I think we focus on not necessarily the wrong things, but not necessarily the best things either. Without that paper covering and me looking through a pinhole, I've got a wide range of vision. Somebody could yawn over here and it would catch my attention. It just, it's a distraction that causes us to look away. But when I look through the pinhole, I am focusing on a specific thing or purpose or whatever, and it helps keep my vision focused on that whatever it is. There are these things called pinhole glasses. You can get them on Amazon. You can get them on the Internet. The only reason I know is because I Googled it. I wasn't going to buy a pair, but evidently these pinhole glasses do the same thing as looking through a pinhole in a, in a board. It helps correct vision. I think pinhole glasses could help us see and stay focused on God. I think that by narrowing our vision down, it helps us to stay focused on the things that really matter. It helps us to catch His vision not our vision. When we do, our sight becomes clear and we can line it up with whatever it is God is calling us to see. It's the kind of spiritual vision we've been investigating over the past month as we have looked at Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. We've spent time discovering what that's like, and we finished that passage last week with God's call on Isaiah's life, and we get to that passage where God says, who will go for us? Whom shall we send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah immediately says, here am I, send me. And remember, that's an enthusiastic, he couldn't wait to be sent by God. Why? Because God had been preparing him for that specific moment and then when it happened, Isaiah was enthusiastically ready to be used by God. We discovered that when it comes to being used by God, we can uh, follow Isaiah's example or we can follow the example of Moses who made excuses. We can follow the example of Jonah who ran from God's call. We can follow the example of Ananias who asked questions just to clarify. He wasn't pushing back against God's call. He was just wanting to make sure he was hearing God correctly. Or we could be like the disciples who were, had already experienced a resurrected Jesus but still 
had some doubts that needed clarification. And so when God calls us, we can respond in a variety of ways, but we can't stand by and ignore the work that God has called us to in meeting the needs of the troubles in the world around us. What Isaiah found out is that when we really see God, we have an option. That option is to be obedient and follow or to be disobedient and go one of these other directions. Isaiah chose to be obedient and follow God. This morning, we've commissioned this mission team that is going to Southwest Virginia for the week to minister to the needs of those in that community in Scott Lee and Wise County down in the Nicholsville area. At the end of the month, Last week of March, we're commissioning a mission team that's going to the Dominican Republic. Every person on both of these teams at some point has prayed and felt called by God to go. And so they responded, here am I, send me. This morning, let me just give you um, a disclaimer. My ADD-ness kicked in this week on this message. We are going to circle the airport about three times before we ever land the plane today. But trust me, we will land the plane. So if you, hang with me if you would. Let's begin by looking at John chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. If you back up some, you'll see that in John's gospel, Jesus had just entered Jerusalem... Jesus was, the, this was the beginning of the end, if you would. Jesus had entered Jerusalem. This was the final moment. And so it was Passover. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. The festival is the Passover. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. It was April 2012 when I made my first mission trip to Bucharest, Romania. I'd been from 2012 to 2018. I went annually. But 2012 was that first one. I hadn't been before. I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been to Romania, never been to Eastern Europe. I'd been to other parts in Europe on a mission trip, not been to Eastern Europe. And so I found myself in preparation for this trip really excited because one of the things I discovered is we, our team, was leaving after worship on Easter Sunday here in the United States. We were arriving the next day, Monday, working through the week, and then we would experience Easter in Romania because that particular year they were celebrating a week after us. They go by the Orthodox calendar and so they don't always line up with the same Sunday if you would. And so I was really excited. I had never experienced Easter outside of American culture and so I was looking forward to being able to celebrate Easter in another country in another language and all of that. Now, I know because of the mission trips I've been on before, it's always good to carry a sermon or two with me because eventually somebody's going to say, hey, would you speak? <laughs> yes, I will. I just happen to have a sermon right here. There's not a lot of time during a week of a mission trip to prepare a sermon. And so I, I had been in touch. We've been communicating back and forth. And, and I had been told, listen, you won't be asked to preach on Sunday because it's Easter Sunday. Well, I kind of figured that because what pastor in their right mind gives up their pulpit? 
on Easter Sunday. I mean, that's like Super Bowl Sunday, you know. You don't just so I knew I wouldn't be preaching on Easter Sunday, but they said, you know what? We are going to have your youth and the youth from Providentia Baptist Church do a fellowship on Saturday night. Now, the youth I was taking were 16, 17, 18-year-old, junior, senior, and high school youth. The youth in Romania are ages 14 to 30. If you're single and fall in that range, you're a youth. So we were going to have this fellowship time on Saturday at 7 p.m., and they said, would you be prepared to share during that fellowship time? I said, of course I would. I'd love to. And so we did. We got together Saturday evening. We did what youth do. We ate pizza, drank soft drinks. I shared a message. We played games. And then at 11 p.m., so four hours later, at 11 p.m., we made our way from the fellowship hall to the sanctuary because they bring Easter in with an 11 p.m. service in Romania. So we go in, we have this worship service to bring Easter in, and about 12.30, we're leaving the sanctuary, and we're walking across the courtyard to another part of the church where we were staying for the week. And before I left the church, my now friend, at the time we were just getting to know one another, but my now friend, Sorim Badran, um, came up to me and he said, we would like you to speak tomorrow night at our Easter Sunday night service. <laughs> Joel's down here going, have you ever had one of those moments where something happens and in that much time, 3,241 thoughts grow through your mind? That's what happened to me. Because when Sorin said, would you be willing to share, I'm sure I had a look of shock on my face and horror, probably Joel's look of a, Because in my mind, I'm thinking, they told me I wasn't going to have to preach. It's Easter Sunday. Why would any pastor give up the pulpit on Easter And a variety of other things. But then my mind went to 1 Peter 3 where it says, be prepared in season and out to give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And that's what came out of my mouth. And so Sardine said, are you sure? He must have seen that look on my face. And I said, I, I'm positive. Okay. So I go back to my room. It's now after 1230. I'm laying down. It is 2 a.m. and I'm sweating. Because I don't know how long you think it takes me to prepare a sermon. Debbie's always shocked because I work on a sermon. I mean, I'm already thinking three weeks ahead. I'm thinking to Easter already and in between. They're not necessarily written yet, but I'm processing. I'm thinking them. And the week of, I'm working on a sermon every day. On my day off, I'm working on a sermon Sometimes my wife goes, are you still working? Yes, I'm, uh, because sometimes Shirley will get an email from me at 6 a.m. Sunday morning that simply says, I think this is pretty close to what will come out today. I've been working on it. Some, I've told some of y'all, my, my manuscripts store, typically start out around seven or eight pages. Three pages is what I preach. So they've got to... So anyway, I'm sitting there in bed thinking, I don't have a whole lot of time to prepare a sermon so God, you do it. And he did. It was great. We had a great time. I was scared to death. God gave me a sermon. I preached it. We went on and life was good. As I was sitting that Sunday night, 
they, they had chairs on their chancel area and a pulpit right there. And I'm sitting back here. And Oti Bonacci and Sorin Badragan and I are sitting there. And on the back of the pulpit, I see two slips of paper. And I can tell they are both the same verse. One is in Romanian and one is in English. And as we stood up to sing, I just kind of walked closer. And what I saw on the backside of the pulpit for every speaker that stands up to that pulpit was John 20, 21. Please, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And I thought, wow, how many times have I seen that passage and all of a sudden, my spiritual vision has kicked in, and I'm beginning to see it through a new light. At that moment, I had another one of those thousand things go through my mind all at one time. And some of the things that went through my mind were this. What a great reminder for anybody that steps up to the pulpit to recognize that you, everybody out there, has come to see Jesus. Wow. But that was cool. But then I realized, what a heavy responsibility I've just been laid on me. They want to see Jesus. They're expecting me to show him to them. Then I thought, wow, what an honor that I've been given to share Jesus. And then the humility hit, and I was like, who am I? Who am I that I should be able to stand up? And share Jesus with these people. Well, in this passage, some Greeks who had come to worship in Jerusalem during the Passover came to Philip and said, we want to see Jesus. What they were saying is, we'd like to meet Jesus and we want you to introduce him to us. What they were saying is, we would like to talk with him personally. We don't want you to just tell us about Jesus. We want you to show us, to get us to Jesus. And I thought, well, you, why Philip? Well, John paints that answer for us. He says in verse 20, or in 21, they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. First of all, Philip is a very Greek name. Second of all, Philip hails from a Greek area. Greeks know one another. Stefan, a friend of mine from Romania, has been with us. We were touring D.C. We're standing outside the fence of the White House, surrounded by people, and Stefan looks over and goes, they're Romanian. Well, how do you know? He said, because they look Romanian. I said, so? He was right. He went up and said, hey, Stefan. They start talking Romanian. I'm like, dude, how do you, you just know. You can look at some people and know where they are from. And so when you know your own people, they went to Philip. He was somebody they trusted. And so they went to him asking for help. Hey, we, we, you're one of us, so we know we can come to you and you're going to help us, right? We want to we see Jesus. There was nothing mystical or magical, anything else about Philip. He was just an ordinary guy whom God used in the life of these Greeks at this moment. Then I thought about another time that God used Philip. It's found in Acts chapter 8. If you want to flip to it real quick, 
It's Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read it for you if you don't want to get there as soon as I get there. And it begins in verse 26. Rather than paraphrase this story, let me just read it to you. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, talk about being called by God. When an angel says to you, you listen. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Remember last week when Ananias was given instructions, he was given some pretty specific instructions, was he not? Well, now Philip is too. Go to the the south road, the desert road, the one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Oh, okay. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit, the Spirit of God, told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I love Philip's response. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Now Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before his shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me, of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So we've got the story with the Greeks who came to Philip. We've got the story of the eunuch who... God sent Philip to, and it made me think about this passage in Romans 10, 14. This is our last circle around the airport, for those of you keeping track. We're going to land the plane after this one. Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As I approached the pulpit in Romania at Providentia Baptist Church, I realized I was being given the opportunity to become a spiritual optometrist. The optometrist is that doctor who examines your eyes and flips the little things. Tell me, what's easier to see, one or two? A or B? I'm like, could you just make up your mind? What are we using, numbers? I was being given the honor of helping people see Jesus with their spiritual vision, which is what we're all called to do as Christ followers on a regular basis. These these passages that we looked at 
have a variety of similarities in them. I want to point them out to you this morning. The main thing is this, the moving of the Spirit of God in the lives of believers as well as non-believers, and how the Spirit of God brought them together in some way, their lives intersected, so the believers had an opportunity to share the good news, the gospel, with the non-believers, and what happened as a result. So in each case, here are some things that happened. In each case, someone was sent from God. Paul said in Romans, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Now, remember last week when we were looking at God's call on Isaiah, the seraphim were right there. God could have commanded the seraphim to come on down to earth to share his prophecy, his message with the people, and the seraphim would have been obedient and done it without even thinking about it. But God oftentimes, not Always, most of the time, I would say, God chooses to use human lips to share his message with humanity. Why? Because we understand one another. God knows the people that we meet, the people we associate with, the people that we socialize with, understand us and we understand them. Our becoming a spiritual optometrist begins with our being sensitive, first of all, to the moving, the calling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we hear the Holy Spirit saying, go sit with that person. Hey, this person over here could use a meal. Oh, hey, that one over there that you associate with, yeah, they could really use the good news right now. Why don't you... We have to be open and sensitive to the moving and the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then like Isaiah, we have an opportunity to be obedient or disobedient. Here I am, send me. Moses, Lord, please send someone else. Here I am, send me. Jonah, see you later. Here I am, send me. God, let me just make sure that I'm hearing you correctly, Ananias. Or here I am, send me. Is it God really sending me? doubting disciples we have an opportunity to be obedient to the moving of the spirit in our lives or to be disobedient in the story in john some greeks came to philip and philip did what he could we don't know if the, philip ever got them to jesus we don't know the rest of the story there but we do know they came to philip asking when it comes to the story with the Ethiopian, Philip was attentive to the moving, the prompting of the Holy Spirit in his life. And when the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go down this road, I want you to be here, and oh, by the way, you're going to see, go stand by the chariot. Once Philip saw that chariot, he couldn't help but run to it and be excited about it. Why? Because, man, everything God said, right here it is. And so he runs up, and he does what he was instructed to do. He joined in. To where the Holy Spirit was already at work. Now, if you've ever done Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, chances are you may have never done Experiencing God and still know what I'm about to say. Because in Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby says, look for where God is at work around you and join in. That's the prompting, the moving of the Holy Spirit. Look, be open, be sensitive to where the Spirit of God is already at work and then join Him in that process. God is in the business of using ordinary people as spiritual optometrists to help others see Him. 
in each case, someone was sent. And in each case, someone proclaimed God's message. How can they hear without someone preaching, is what Paul said. Whether you realize it or not, your life is a walking billboard sermon. Remember last week, we looked at Acts 1-8, where Jesus, before going to the Father, looked at the disciples, looked at the crowd, and said, you will be my witnesses. He didn't say you could be, you should be, you might want to consider. He said you will be. What that says is our life is a walking testimony. What are you testifying of? What does your life share with those you associate with? What, are those life share, what does your life share with those who you hang out with, who you go to school with, or whatever? What are you proclaiming? We have these neat little pithy sayings I've, I've said before. Walk the walk, talk the talk. More is caught than taught. And they are accurate because we realize that we are always proclaiming something about what we believe in God, whether positive or negative. Our language proclaims what we think about God. Our actions proclaim what we think about God. You can't just say, oh yeah, I go to church. Oh yeah, I believe in God. Your life needs to match up with what you're saying. We're always proclaiming something. In each case, someone was sent, someone proclaimed a message, and someone received a message from God. If we're all proclaiming a message, whether good or bad, if we're proclaiming something, that means somebody is receiving it. Somebody's picking up what you're putting down. Every message is received, and Paul wrote, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? People are watching us. They're receiving a variety of messages through our walk, our talk, our conduct, how we treat people we associate with. The Greeks went to Philip asking to see Jesus because they associated, whether they saw Philip in the triumphal entry you know, processional, whether they said, hey, there, he's with him and he's one of us. Let's see if he can get us to him. Whatever they saw, when they saw Philip, they said, hey, he can help us out. He's associated with him. He's one of his followers. The Ethiopian was ready to receive a message from Philip because Philip was excited to share. God had sent him, and he had an opportunity. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? That's all he said. And then the Lord took it from there. So let me ask you, when it comes to opportunities to share Christ, are you enthusiastic or are you hesitant? When it comes to sharing opportunities with Christ, are you comfortable or are you conformable? See, comfortable says, I've got my schedule, I've got my plans, I've got my desires, I've got my time frame, I've got my timeline. Comfortable means we protect our lives. Conformable says, here am I, send me. God, you know my plans, but your plans are greater than mine, so God, send me. Whatever it is, I'll set aside this thing on my calendar if you're telling me to go, that's conformable in each case someone was sent they proclaimed a message from god someone received that message and someone believed the message from god and in turn they saw jesus 
if you are kindergarten through college age, let me see your hands. Okay, kindergarten through college. Tune in to me right now. Where's my buddy Liam today? <laughs> my amen corners. Students, you have a greater opportunity of reaching your peers than anybody else on this planet because you're one of them. You speak their language. You understand what they're going through. You have a greater opportunity of reaching your peers than any adult ever will. It was 2014. This was already in the sermon before an anniversary that took place yesterday. It was 2014. One of my students, at the time I was still doing youth ministry, one of my students was a senior playing baseball at James River High School, Jared Arney. They had been to FCA that morning, and a couple of the players on the baseball team had some questions. Because of the way Jared lived his life, because of the example that Jared set, they were one of, he was one of them. He played baseball with them. They went to the same high school. He was one of them. So these players, when they had questions about Jesus, and they knew Jared knew Jesus, they went to Jared. Jared shared the good news, the gospel message, and they were saved. Can I get an amen? How do I know? Because J.R. Grable, who was here at the time, was connected with FCA, was there that day and witnessed what happened, and he couldn't wait to get on the phone and tell me, man, one of your students just shared the gospel with some of his teammates, and they accepted Jesus. How cool is that? And I'm like, that is so cool, but isn't that what they're supposed to be doing anyway? Yes. Students, you have the best opportunity of sharing the good news with your peers. Adults, if you work someplace with somebody, you encounter, you interact with someone, whether personally or through a screen, if you work from home, let me see your hands. Adults, you're much shyer than the students. Some of y'all need to get jobs. <laughs> Ain't no wonder our economy's the way it is. Get a job. You have the best opportunity of reaching your coworkers with the good news. Why? Because you speak the same language. I'm going to pick on Forrest for just a minute because I know what Forrest does for a living. Forrest does something for a living where, uh, I'm assuming Forrest, you're still working with joints. Okay. Forrest works for a company that does joint replacement in your body. Forrest goes into the operating room with the hardware from the company, the manufacturer, and then he tells the surgeon what to do with it. Don't you feel safe now? <laughs> Forrest speaks that language. I don't. Forrest has an opportunity to share Jesus where I do not. Teachers, you speak a language that your students can feel comfortable in coming to you because of your witness and your testimony. You have an opportunity to be a spiritual optometrist. 
Anybody can say, oh, you want to know about Jesus? Hey, come to church with me on Sunday. If they want to know about Jesus, tell them about Jesus. Don't wait to put them in front of me or Joel or Cindy. Tell them about Jesus. They want to see Jesus. It's a divine appointment, a God-ordained opportunity for you to share Jesus. The Greeks came to Philip. We want to see Jesus. Who is it that God may be calling you to become a spiritual optometrist to? They want to see Jesus. I don't know if y'all have realized this, but, but we live in a world that wants to see Jesus. How do I know they want to see Jesus? Because they're looking in all the wrong places. We have an opportunity to share Jesus with those we associate with, with those we work with, we hang out with, we play ball with, we go to school with. We have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. Are you willing to say, here am I, Lord, send me. Lord, we thank you for this example of Philip. Father, we thank you that you have called each one of us as followers of yours to become a spiritual optometrist to the lost world around us. Father, show us how we're doing. Father, call us to do better so that when you call, we will obediently go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You'd like to know, if you want to see Jesus and you're here right now, I'd love to introduce you to him. If you're online, that would be, I'd love to talk to you about that. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior while we close this hour of worship out, come on up here, let me share. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, wow, how many times have I not taken the opportunity to share Jesus when God has put it right there in front of me? God, forgive me. Father, help me. If you pray this, understand God's going to do it. Father, give me more opportunities that I won't squander. Give me more opportunities to help people see Jesus. If you pray that prayer, watch out. I don't want to scare you. I want you to pray that prayer. Because you're going, to, you're going to reach those you associate with. If you'd like to know more about becoming part of the Bill Free family or you're ready to become part of the Bill Free family, I'd love to have that conversation with you. If you have some business to take care of with God while we close this hour of worship out and sing it in a song, let me invite you to do that. Let's stand together. I'll be right here in one moment.
Sunday where we share the Lord's Supper together. But before you go, let me remind you, we have these prayer cards with the names of those on the Southwest Virginia trip. I know the rest of the team would really like if you would pray for them because I'm following them. I'm getting ready to go join them. And I know. Anyway, pray for them. Pray for us. Take, take one of those cards. It's going to be a great week of serving in Southwest Virginia. Pray for our missionaries through the North American Mission Offering. As we go, may the prayer of your heart be open our eyes, Lord. Open our ears. Open our mouths so that we can share Jesus wherever it is you send us. Y'all have a blessed week.